from the National Society of Genetic Counselors, this is the NSGC podcast series. Exploring stories of leading voices and best practices in genetic counseling. Now to your hosts, Kalita Leaquat and Kate Wilson. Welcome to the final episode of season one of the NSGC podcast series. We're your hosts, Kalita Leaquat and Kate Wilson. And we'd like to thank you for supporting season one of this series. We hope you've enjoyed our episodes so far and we'll continue to listen to season two coming soon in 2019. For today's episode, we're taking it back to the NSGC annual conference. While we were on site in Atlanta, we met up with several NSGC members to hear how they've adapted, evolved, and thrived in their genetic counseling careers. First up, we'll hear from Marianne Campion and Emily Edelman as they discuss the future of the genetic counseling profession. I'm Marianne Campion. I'm co-director of the master's program in human genetics and genetic counseling at Stanford University and consultant on genetic counseling professional practice at Stanford Children's Health. And I'm Emily Edelman. I'm the associate director of clinical and continuing education at the Jackson Laboratory, a nonprofit genomic research and education organization. How have you seen the field evolve and adapt? Um, Well, there's so many ways the field has been uh, growing and evolving and adapting since I have joined the field. Um, You know, the first thing that comes to mind for me is uh, not only the amazing growth in the number of genetic counselors that we've seen, but also even more exciting, the diversity of roles that genetic counselors take on, and that's really growing. So, and we see this diversity even within the same kind of role. So it used to be like I was a clinical counselor, but we have so many different subspecialties of GCs working in clinic and working in patient care and working in different kinds of healthcare systems. Um, Even now working, you know, in commercial companies, we're also seeing, of course, growth in scientific and laboratory opportunities, the payer industry, research continues to grow, again, in a lot of different areas. It doesn't just mean, you know, I'm a research GC and so I do one thing. We're seeing so much exciting growth in all of these different areas, Um, you know, and of course, education and many more. And then within education, um, you know, we're seeing more and more genetic counselors with formalized roles here, which I think is really exciting. When we look at the PSS data every year, the majority of genetic counselors report that they have some degree of education as part of their job. But historically, very few genetic counselors had education as their primary role. And I think that was mainly people who were program directors and full-time faculty and training programs. Um, But, you know, I've seen more and more in the past few years prospective GC students, Um, current students and even mid-career GCs, uh, you know, I've I've been talking with them, people who are interested to merge those genetic counseling skills and experiences in a more formal education application. And of course, you know, this this looks like different things. It can be in training programs, um, uh, the type of work that that I do, working with healthcare providers and their training, also patient education, education around, you know, commercial products and many other applications. So I think that this is going to continue to grow and I, as well as many other roles, but I think it's very exciting. And so <clears throat> what are you seeing, Marianne, in terms of um, changes in the field, areas of growth and evolution? So mirroring what you mentioned, I'm seeing a lot more applicants come to the field with an interest in diverse career paths. Fifteen years ago, I would say that almost all students arrived fully anticipating that they would have a career in clinical care. And often they only saw themselves working in one specialty, and that was as much as they could envision. 
And then as their exposure and interest and goals changed, so did their jobs. But now we're actually seeing a lot more people on day one knowing that they want to go into something that's a little bit more niche or unique. And we're seeing many people just wide open to the landscape of possibilities, which has been really a, a wonderful evolution to watch. And I do think for some genetic counselors, this expansion of possibilities has been very organic and unexpected, but others, it's much more intentional. So not only have we grown in scope, but we've certainly grown quite rapidly in size too. And that's the other area that I would say has changed the most in the last decade. The number of training programs has doubled. We now have 45 accredited programs in North America. And the enrolled students per year has gone up by about 50% since 2012. We're now graduating about 400 students a year. Luckily, the number of applicants has also gone up just as much, so we're certainly continuing to admit very high-quality applicants. But I think this growth in both scope and size is something that uh, we saw coming, but not at quite the magnitude that we've seen. So, Emily, what do you think the evolution will look like moving forward? How do you think the field will continue to thrive? It's a great question, um, you know, and, and I think we are at a ripe time to be really thinking about this and anticipating this. Um, continuing on the theme that I've been talking about of GCs as educators and translators in the larger healthcare system, you know, I've personally been really excited about our new strategic initiative, number one, which is promoting this, the delivery of high-value genetic services. And, and our strategic plan specifically calls out that that's going to include promoting collaborative approaches to care to support the delivery of effective, efficient, value-based, so high-quality genetic services across the healthcare system. And so, you know, we already, this is going to include, this is going to include working towards um, supporting GCs who practicing at the top of their scope of practice and, and identifying models that will utilize other members of the healthcare team, providing services in a high quality um, and really accessible way. So I'm very excited about this because I think a lot of GCs are already starting to explore these models for service delivery, but it's been a recent thing. And I'm, I'm confident that there's a lot more people who are thinking about this and who are ready to embrace it. Um, and so I think we're going to see a lot of area of growth in this, in this type of practice and leadership. And Marianne, what about you? Know what about you? You have a great perspective with the, as you just shared, with the training programs um, and thinking about things as you're seeing what's changing in the demographics and interest of the students. What do you see and anticipate in terms of evolution moving forward? So I always tell prospective students that we're a field of educators. Some of us educate patients, others educate students or healthcare providers, legislators, or the lay public. But regardless of what job or career path someone takes, they're going to be an educator. And I think I will end there just by reminding everyone listening and, and putting in a big plug that we really should be seeking out opportunities to educate and train the next generation of genetic counseling stakeholders. There's going to be a lot of them, and the landscape of the stakeholders will continue to change. But I, I think that the paying it forward mentality is largely responsible for our field's success to date, and we need to continue that evolution. Next up, we're joined by Shivani Nazareth and Kayleen Reedy as they reflect on their time together as colleagues. Hi, my name is Shivani Nazareth, and I am the Head of Clinical Development at Clear Genetics. And my name is Kayleen Reedy. I am a Product Director at Council. And Kayleen and I have known each other now for, what, eight years? Eight years? Yeah. Yeah. And what we have in common at least 
from the beginning is that we both worked at academic breast centers. Yes. As cancer genetic counselors. And we were very comfortable. And we left to join a California-based startup that was doing reproductive carrier screening. Yes. And I knew a lot about cancer, and I was very comfortable, and it was a very good job. (laughs) And then suddenly I had to learn a lot about carrier screening. Um, And I had people say, you're going to leave your faculty position at Cornell to go where? Same. Yeah. Because you were at MD Anderson. Yes. Why'd you do it? It's really my husband who, who said, when we're 90, sitting in our rocking chairs, <laughs> will, you, will you have, you know, wonder, like, what makes the better story? Um, and the better story, even if it was a complete and utter disaster, <laughs> was um, to leave the safe clinical position and do something entirely different and entirely out of my comfort zone. But I don't think I appreciated exactly how out of my comfort zone <laughs> It would, it would be. It would be. I, don't I mean, did I you, did. right? Did, did, you, did, did you really know that we'd be doing basically sales? No. So I think we both sort of entered thinking that it was an interesting opportunity. Sequencing costs were declining. This was coming. Whether, you know, whether we liked it or not, we wanted to help shape it. I don't think we anticipated bringing donuts to doctor's offices <laughs> um, or having to write our own marketing material or eventually having to talk to media. Yeah. Uh, sort of all the things that kind of we just stumbled into and had to learn how to do on the spot. I wanted to talk a little bit about maybe where we struggled um, mm-hmm. and stumbled. I think it's easy to look at kind of our careers together and see that, you know, things have gone reasonably well, but I thought it could be fun to maybe talk about some of the times that maybe we we fell down. We always get back up. For one, sales is way harder than I thought it would be. Agree. And any sense of credibility I had in academia, I feel like just went out the window when I was doing sales. Uh, Because sales was more about totally putting your ego aside and trying to get people to understand why they should expand their way of thinking and their way of doing things. And most people weren't even ready to do anything beyond screening for cystic fibrosis. In some major areas, they were doing CF Fragile X SMA, but the idea of screening for over 100 diseases just sounded absurd. Yes. And I think I have a much better appreciation and respect for salespeople now. Um, I was terrible at it. As was I. (laughs) Here we would go. Yeah, I think we had to try different things out and do well at some and maybe not so well at others um, and become really comfortable with that idea that there are some things we are going to try to do that maybe we won't be able to do but will perhaps lead us to something that we can do. Right. Which I think is what you did with 
you know, working with providers and patient advocacy. You got carrier screening on the list of like things to do before you get pregnant. That's amazing, right? Baby <laughs> um, center. Yeah. Yeah. I remember pitching Baby Center. And it was literally like a cold call, just walking in and saying, This is what you have on your website and here's why I think you need to fix it. You touched on it yesterday at your plenary about about being uncomfortable. And I think if you get too comfortable, you, I think both you and I are this way at least, that, that then you don't grow. I 100% agree. I think if you get too comfortable, you also go into autopilot mode and your sort of daily routine becomes less interesting. Now, you don't always have to be in this like mode where you're stumbling every day. There is some beauty in being an expert in something and being comfortable at it. But I also think that in order to actually grow, you have to kind of say no to that voice in your head that tells you like, oh, I'm an expert at this and this is what I do and say yes to thinking outside of the box a little bit. (laughs) We'll now hear from Janet Williams and Andy Fawcett as they prepare for an upcoming change, retirement. Hi, this is Andy Fawcett. I'm a genetic counselor at Geisinger. Um, I am a professor and also work in the research department. And I'm Janet Williams, also a genetic counselor at Geisinger, and I work in the Genomic Medicine Institute as director of research genetic counselors. Now I'm going through another kind of evolution, and Janet may talk a little bit about this for herself, in the sense that I'm beginning to think about um, early retirement and transitioning, and what's my role going to be both professionally and personally as I transition things over. It's been very exciting to have a number of junior genetic counselors who are becoming leaders who I've helped share projects with. I've moved them into roles so they can take a leadership role. And it's kind of like being a parent. You're excited to do that, but every now and then they do something that probably isn't the way you would have done it, and you wonder, should I grab it back? And you go, no, I have to let it go. So, Janet, do you want to talk any about your transitions? Yeah, so I think... um What's been interesting, as you um, mentioned, was the um, bringing on of many genetic counselors and the role that, as a more seasoned, experienced counselor, you get to play really in mentoring uh, those individuals who come. And so um, I think in that process of um, supporting and fostering uh, clinical care as well as uh, research expertise, Um, there's been a great opportunity to um, reinforce that uh, idea of um, service and volunteering um, in order to further the profession. For myself, um, I am now at 40 years as a genetic counselor and am um, uh, very close to transitioning um, out of any of the institutional roles that I've been serving as director of the research counselors and and moving into doing just those very few things that I'm truly interested in. And so this has involved a lot of um, planning. Um, I have not been shy about um, continuing to uh, reinforce the fact that I am leaving and that there are others who need to take over some of those um, great opportunities. And so... Um, 
we have had the chance, really, um, as two of the original uh, genetic counselors for genomic medicine, to be able to shape um, a very active and vibrant community of genetic counselors. And for your own story, Janet, I know that you were ready to to reduce your role and then all of a sudden got um, federally funded grant funding to do just the thing you'd always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that took some adapting and evolving. Um. Yes, yes. So I, I had um, been very active in the eMERGE um, electronic and medical records uh, in uh, genomics uh, working group uh, research network and uh, one of the things that we really set out to do as a part of that research network is to evaluate um, healthcare provider responses to genomic results that they perhaps didn't order but show up in their electronic health record um, uh, to-do box. And so um, we started that with just a supplement as a one-year um, process to survey physicians, only got enough funding to do some interviews and develop a survey, but then um, were able to submit an R01 to um, go ahead and more broadly survey uh, physicians and how they cope with this information, what are they comfortable with, where do they need support, and how do they communicate this information to their patient care. So really, truly exciting work that, yes, was exactly what I originally left clinical care to do. And for me, one of the last things that I wanted to do was make sure that the genetic counseling profession itself was grounded at Geisinger and set an example for other institutions. We recently created something called the Genetic Counseling Professional Council. This is modeled after the Advanced Practice Council for Nurse Practitioners and Physicians Assistants. Um, the benefit of this is since genetic counselors work in multiple departments, it's like a department of departments. So it's, a, it's an academic home, a professional home. The goal is to work on recruitment and retention and career building and mentoring and all those things so the profession is recognized. The really exciting thing is now we're kind of in the medical center hierarchy. We're recognized um, in a sense, a department, which we weren't before. So it's kind of one of those things that I'm really excited about seeing it get ramped up, all the details worked out, and then my goal is to find somebody to take it over and, and take it to step two. Next up, we hear from Kara Bowie and Anna Morales as they discuss the importance of taking on leadership roles. I'm Kara Bowie, and I'm a cancer genetic counselor in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I work for a community hospital there, Greenville Health System, and I also work for Caris Life Sciences. And I'm also um, chair of the ABGC certification exam committee and incoming cancer SIG secretary. I'm Anna Morales. I am a member of the NSGC expert media panel, and I am also incoming president uh, for ABGC. I work at The Ohio State University as a genetic counselor specializing in cardiovascular genetics. So something that you often talk about is the need for more genetic counselor leaders and more research on genetic counseling issues. Absolutely. I would like to see more genetic counselor leaders at our institutions advocating for our positions and our professional growth. Um, helping our colleagues understand what we do, the value, the mile deep expertise that we bring, um, helping even our friends, our families understand what we do. I mean, chances are each one of us is the only genetic counselor someone's ever met. The only trained genetic counselor in a clinical setting. And that puts us in a leadership role, whether we like it or not. 
I think what you mean to say is you need to bloom where you're planted. I mean, as a first-generation Puerto Rican, I can attest to that. Um, you know what else? You don't have to be the chair of something or on the board of something or the president of something to be a leader. We each are responsible for exerting leadership in everything we do, regardless of our title or where we work, including those times when we have to find the courage to stand up for ourselves and claim our spot at the table. So I know I personally have had a hard time with that. Um, let's say you want to make some policy changes at work, or maybe you want to get a bunch of GCs in your state to stand up for something that you really care about. Or maybe you want to create a whole new genetic counseling job type, but you don't even know how to get over the immediate hurdles. What can you do? I'd say reach out. Both NSGC and ABGC are working on promoting leadership skills among genetic counselors. And actually, there's a lot of genetic counselors who have probably successfully done something similar to what you hope to do. Just reach out. The people who volunteer and lead NSGC and ABGC are volunteers. And they got to where they are in their positions because they want to serve. And leadership is serving, and it's uplifting others. There's no other way around it. What about, though, the genetic counselors who do want to get more leadership training experience, but they've got workplaces that won't pay for continuing education or allow them to spend work hours volunteering for professional organizations? My opinion is that those issues could be solved um, by doing um, research and getting the data that convinces institutions to give us what we need. We have been very good at preaching to the choir and talking amongst ourselves about all the great things that we do, but when we go out of our circle and want to communicate with others and key players, stakeholders in society about what we do, we need data. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that can play into how human resources, for example, will decide on job classifications. Uh, there are cases where the wrong job classification can have a serious impact in how someone is able or not able to have a seat at, you know, important conversations about the role of genetic counselors in clinic, in initiatives, etc. And I think if we take, take a little step back and gather the data that we need and then go back and say, look, this is what we know and this is why, with objective numbers, I think we can do a lot better. So I would like to see more research and data. Um, you and I definitely have bonded over data-driven yes. outcomes. <laughs> so as we're talking about research, I think we also need to research how to effectively recruit different kinds of people into our profession. Mm -hmm. Every year I notice that the exact same kinds of students contact me about job shadowing and internship opportunities, and I just never seem to get calls from men or people exploring a second career or maybe people who don't speak English as their first language. And so I worry that maybe there's something we're not doing to promote our profession to a wider group of people. I agree. And again, I think it's something that we can also um, address with a systematic approach. And um, I know that NSGC has a great um, diversity and inclusion initiative that actually starts this year. And I cannot wait to see where that will um, lead us. Um, but again, we can definitely resolve to do more research on this. There's a lot of speculation about why our profession looks the way it looks. Um, but again, 
Another point is we need research. That's fine. We all agree. But you don't have to work on a gigantic research project. Um, there are so many things that you can do to begin making changes just for yourself. Collect your own data about what you do, who you see. Like you were uh, citing examples about the types of people who approach us. That is research. That is data collection that could be instrumental in making a difference. So I guess what you're saying is if you're not satisfied with your situation, you need to accept the challenge and lead the change. Yes. And if you can also find someone to help you lead. For instance, I found you. <laughs> and you've really given me a lot of confidence to try things I didn't dare try before. We'll now hear from Wendy Ullman and Barry Tong as they discuss the journey to overcoming fear. Hello, this is Barry Tong. I'm a joint counselor at UCSF. Hi, this is Wendy Ullman, and I'm a genetic counselor at the University of Michigan and faculty member in our genetic counseling training program. Gosh, thank you so much for being here with me, Wendy. It's, uh, I think, my 10th NSGC, and my first one was at Atlanta, so it's sort of kind of especially important oh, and very realize, I didn't realize that, that that was the connection, actually, that 10 years coming back to the same place. Yeah. It's nice. Um, I, I think I wanted to do a bit of a retrospective about where I've come, and I think there's a couple themes that I want to address um, and sort of different timelines about how I feel like I've become and the person that I am and the challenges that I've had. Um, but I think one of the kind of early themes that came to mind is as I've progressed through this career is just this unnerving fear that I've had at every step of the way. Um, and if we kind of zoom back to maybe like April 2007, which was conveniently um, my sixth genetic counseling program interview. I was at Michigan. It was a sunny day. And I think coming into that program before I first met you, Wendy, I had this very unnerving fear that I didn't, this wasn't for me. I'd already been through several interviews where I very clearly was made aware that I was probably not the best candidate for a genetic counseling training program. I had oftentimes people say, like, you go into training not knowing what a genetic counselor is, but I think I very clearly did not know what a genetic counselor was or what a genetic counselor did. Um, and that was a very quick learning as I was going through my programs. And so I approached the Michigan program with this fear of, am I good enough? Am I someone that would even fit in? Do I, am I even pointing myself in the right direction? A lot of doubt around, I, I've put in this work, but is this really where I need to be? And that's sort of where I started, that's where I met you. And one of the things that really immediately set me at ease is you kind of called out a few things that allowed us to relate. You put that counselor skill really to test rather than being the person who was interviewing a candidate and seeing if I matched up on paper, you're, you related to me being a minority and me not quite fitting in and not quite understanding the medical system. And you related your own stories and disclosed information about yourself that really put me in a position that made me feel a lot better about myself and this decision to go into this career. You remember that conversation? 
I, I wish I could say I remembered all of it, and um, and now I'll have to talk to you later about what I actually did disclose. Um, but I, I what I do recall is meeting you and just being struck immediately, kind of by your warmth and people connection skills, and the um, the questioning and you know that you had and the thoughtful answers that you were giving to questions. And and so I knew pretty early on in the interview that it kind of changed part way through that I knew that I wanted to see you come to Michigan to train. And so it's interesting that you talk about fear, um, and yet at the same time, you were actually a risk taker um, because you actually became our first uh, dual degree student at Michigan, um, earning both a uh, master's in, in human genetics and a master's in public health. So you were completely a risk taker um, in going to a, uh, into a degree program that had yet to be um, charted and yet to be um, thought out long term. I think. I think you bring up a good point um, that and bringing in that that um, the public health degree because that was like kind of a split decision that I made partway into the summer after my first year. I think I saw MPH written on Bev's board. <laughs> I was like, "Hey, what's that? We don't really know what it is, but I'll dive right in." I think that's part of what's helped me adapt in that setting was finding how to define myself when I didn't really know how to define myself. Um, and having, having our, our faculty, yourself, Bev, Monica, and um, Liz Petty, our medical director, really helped kind of put aside the areas where I felt different and really helped highlight where did I want to go with my own training. Um, and evolving from there and finding that I really wanted to work in health dissemination and working on access to genetic services and finding personalized ways to deliver care to people who don't normally access genetic services. And lastly, you'll hear from Kalita and I as we reflect on our time on the NSGC podcast series. Hi, I'm Kate Wilson. I'm chair of the Education Committee. Hi, I'm Kalita Leaquat, and I'm the chair of the podcast subcommittee. So, Cal, I thought that it would make sense to start off and talk a little bit about um, when we were bringing you on board and thinking that you would be the perfect fit uh, to lead the charge and start an NSGC podcast. Um, and I was thrilled when you said yes. But why did you say yes? What what made you take on something that had never been done before? And uh, we didn't really have a, a, a set plan and instructions. So why did you decide to take on the challenge? Well, I never say no to anything in my personal or professional life. So that makes it hard. Um, I'm always looking for new challenges and I love podcasting and I have to say I didn't give in it I didn't give it enough thought when I said yes because I wasn't quite sure what I was getting into but the idea of volunteering more with the education committee and not leaving that small group was really enticing to me starting something new creating content and telling stories um, you know, you, you can't sell a better product than that. So I, I was hooked from the beginning and naively n had no idea what I was getting myself into, to be quite honest. And I think that those make the best projects and the best adventures. And so 
the question was asked, I said yes. And then I, I figured I would be supported by an SGC and by you. And I knew that it was going to be okay. Having volunteered with an SGC and having been a part of the education committee family, I knew I was well supported. And it was just a matter of kind of making a list and going through it and, you know, reaching for the stars. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been a big theme of this AEC so far. It's day one, but um, I think I think my journey with this lines up with everything we've heard today, and that's mm-hmm. really amazing. Well, and I think it was a chance that we were able to really work on something from the ground up. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of flexibility um, again, the, the technical side was taken care of by our wonderful executive office. Um, and shout out to Erica, who helps us with this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's been really the thing that I have loved the most is watching it evolve. Um, and it really has been an evolution um, from all of us kind of figuring out our way uh, and seeing how it has grown and developed over this first year. Mm-hmm. I think that what I've loved the most about the first year is the storytelling, choosing the stories, choosing the tellers, and then hearing the stories on the other end when the podcast actually goes live has been my favorite part of it. And then genetic counselors are such great storytellers, even if it's telling our own stories, let alone the stories of others. So what I'm really interested to see is what next year looks like and what five years from now look like because I no matter what the content is I think we're always going to be telling stories Mm -hmm. and so I'm really excited to see what that's going to be like in the future well and I think for me that was the importance of doing the podcast and um, you know when I first approached NSGC about it it was making sure that there was a way that genetic counselors could connect with each other. Um, I know that I always would think, oh, these genetic counselors are so perfect and they know what to do and they have everything together. Um, and a lot of us do, you know, ha- ha- are, are very, uh, um, you know, empowered, powerful, strong uh, people. But at the same time, you know, I wanted to get to know the person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the podcast really allows us to peek behind the curtain, get to know people, um, share our stories, find out what kind of things we have in common, yep. um, learn about some things that we don't know. Um, and I think for me, that's been the surprising part, too, like you said, is is getting people's responses after they listen to the podcast, which I hadn't really thought that much about. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like I feel like um, like when we record it, it's kind of we're throwing the stone into the pond. And then these ripples continue to grow as more and more people listen and we get more and more downloads. And then they come back to us and talk about what they got from the podcast, um, how it opened their eyes to something they didn't know about mm-hmm. or introduced them to a new genetic counselor colleague that they've never met before. Yeah. I want to take a step back. Do you remember that aha moment when you thought – we need to do a podcast. Mm-hmm. NSGC needs to do a podcast. Was there a galvanizing moment? Oh, yes. Yeah. What yeah. was it? Well, so for NSGC, um, the committee chairs generally have to do a uh, leadership training, and it's a fabulous thing that NSGC puts on um, to help get their leaders um, inspired and give them the skills necessary to um, lead a large team. Um, and we have to do an unprepared talk at some point. And I did mine on the love of podcasting and why I loved it. Um, and this is the other thing, too, is that I will just say um, 
with, uh, with Catherine Whitmer. She was there and she jumped on board right away and really kind of said, no, this is, this is a good idea and this makes sense. Um, and once I had that kind of, uh, chime in or vote of confidence, I was like, well, then we could do this. Mm -hmm. I think this would work. And I just love talking to other genetic counselors. I love hearing, you know, what they do day to day. I love learning about what they do. That's completely unrelated to genetic counseling. Um, I just, uh, enjoy the community Mm -hmm. that we have, um, so much. And I just wanted to be able to share that. And I thought the podcast was the best way to do it. I love this story. And I also love that there's a piece of Catherine in this. Mm -hmm. That really warms my heart. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you see for the podcast in 10 years? Oh, that is a really good question. Um, I think it will continue, like you said, to be about the stories, about genetic counselors um, sharing. Uh, I think there will probably be some times where we do things that are a little bit more academic. We might share some research, share some papers. Um, I hope, uh, and I think it will, uh, it will happen is that we continue to use it as, um, a way to talk about the success of the genetic counseling community. I like, uh, being, uh, my own hype squad. So that's really kind of what I like about the podcast too, is just highlighting, um, all the amazing things that genetic counselors accomplish. So I still think that's going to continue to be the heart of the podcast. I love that this is a voice for the I am a genetic counselor movement. Um, I mean, it's in the press, it's in social media, but this, this is just a different avenue to showcase how wonderful our colleagues are. Mm-hmm. And even though stories might have central themes that are going to, going to be recurring, right? It's always going to be a different story. And so I'm really excited about that. Me too. Mm-hmm. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> Indeed. That concludes our final episode of season one of the NSGC podcast series. Thank you for joining us this year as we celebrated leading voices and best practices in genetic counseling. Have an idea for an episode? Visit us online at www.nsgc.org forward slash podcasts to submit your idea today. This recording is produced by the National Society of Genetic Counselors. We'll see you next year.